Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, everybody, to this week's exciting episode. Woohoo! And this one is an exciting one, Josh. I'm very excited this week because, you know, like we've had a few guests on before now, but this one I am really proud of. Yeah. This guy was actually the director of investigations for the British UFO Research Association. Whew, that is a Many title. Years. That is, I mean, that's some credentials, isn't it? Yeah, mate. And you've got the actual guy. He's the here. The actual guy, the main guy. His name's Philip Mantle. Welcome him to the show. Hello, show Philip. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Nice to speak to you. It's very nice to have you on. Thank you for coming. Thank you for freeing up a little time for us. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy. That's mm. good. Um, you, uh, you are... Obviously, I've already said, you used to be the director of investigation for Bufora. Um, I think, were you also not a li- liaison for MUFON? Yeah, I was, the- I was the MUFON representative for England um, during the 1990s. Uh, and for Bufora, I was also their press officer and conference organiser. Uh, you know, did a bit of everything, really. But yeah, yeah, happy days. Yeah, you've all, I've also seen you on the television on a couple of documentaries, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you're a published author, uh, been in uh, several newspapers and magazines and that sort of thing. And you have a new book out. Yes, new book. It's a case we've been working on for a number of years now, although it actually happened back in 1973. The book's called Beyond Reasonable Doubt, The Pascagoula Alien Abduction which I've co-authored with uh, Dr. Irina Scott, who lives in Ohio. I'm in sunny Pontefract in West Yorkshire, and she's in Ohio, the USA. Ah, that's yeah, where man. the accent is. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. it might be Pontefract. A bit, bit northern. <laughs> yeah, um, and that, uh, what, I've got to think, because we're recording this before the book has come out, but, that, uh, but it will be released late in September. So your new book will already be actually published yeah, the, the, by the time well, the books, this comes the out. The book's out now, although, although the official publication date is September the 1st. But so many people wanted to get their hands on it and have said, well, it's available, go on, no, no problem. You did send me a, a, a manuscript, a PDF version, and I've had a flick through it, and I've got to say, it is some riveting stuff. I just, I, I was already familiar with the Pascagoula case in 1973. Two blokes got abducted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't aware of just how many eyewitnesses there were and potentially another abduction, which I thought was, you know, e- even, even more proof um, through okay. the details in the book. Do you want, do you want to walk us through the, the actual case, Philip? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in 1973, a young fellow by the name of Calvin Parker was almost almost 19, and uh, he got engaged to his childhood sweetheart, going to get married in November. But uh, Calvin was working like three or four jobs a day, and she never saw him. She says, why can't you get a regular job? So his father 
said, why don't you phone Charlie Hickson? He's a family friend. You know, the families have grown up together. And said, uh, he's a foreman in the shipyard. He'll get you a job. So he did. And Charlie got him a job. But Calvin lived, you know, a good couple of hours drive away. So the idea was he would lodge with Charlie Monday to Friday, pay him for board and lodgings, and then go home on the weekend. So the date, October the 11th, 1973, was Calvin's first day working in the shipyard as a welder. And Oh, I, did, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't, he hadn't even actually probably got into the job yeah, yet. Yeah, no, so the, the day went well. You know, his, his colleague, Charles Hickson, was a good bit older. Charlie was 42. And Calvin had just bought a new car as well. So Calvin's driving them home at night. And despite the age difference, one thing both gentlemen shared was the love of fishing. So Charlie yes. says, want to go do some do some fishing tonight? Oh, absolutely. They got the tackle. Calvin's driving the stop, buy some bait. And Charlie directs him. I know where to go because Calvin didn't know the area. We'll go down on the Pascagoula River. Now, this is not out in the swamplands of Mississippi. You know, it's right next to Highway 90. There's a huge motorway bridge goes over the river. So they drive... Right next to the boat yard where they were. It was close. And they drive down and Calvin sees a no-entry sign. And Charlie says, don't take any notice of it. You know, I've been here before. So they park the car, get the tackle out, go to one fishing spot, which is infested with flies. So they move to an old pier uh, that that belonged to a shipyard that had long since closed. And they're on the pier, you know, rods in water, staring out. And um, there's this blue light comes from behind and it shimmers on the water. And Calvin thinks, I know we shouldn't have ignored that no trespassing sign, you know. We're going we're <laughs> to spend the night in jail. It's the police. So both guys sort of turn around at the same time. And, of course, it's not the police. There is this rugby ball-shaped object descending. It stops about two feet above the ground. It's got two lights on one end. And this, the light from it is absolutely blinding. And then this opening appears. And these three bizarre humanoid creatures literally float out. Don't walk. They float out across towards them two gets hold of Charlie and one gets hold of Calvin both men are paralysed all they can move literally is their eyes they're taken to this thing they're separated Calvin is laid on this glass table like implement there is something that comes out of the roof about the size of a pack of cards he claims went around him making a clicking noise Uh, there was also another entity that looked female, you know? Yes. And there's a a little bit here that Calvin doesn't like talking about. They removed his lower clothing, including his shoes and socks, and they stuck something in his foot, and he said it hurt. Just bear that in mind. And he said, I could hear this dripping. I thought it was my blood. And he he felt this sensation going up, up his body as if they were draining the blood out of him and replacing it with something else. He's, he gets dressed, and he, he the, the, the paralysis is gone for a moment, so he literally gets this female in a headlock and smacks it oh, against right. the, the, the wall. Yeah, but she sort of points to this strange creature that's been stood there like a robot, and it gets hold of Calvin, he's paralysed, Next thing he remembers, he's back outside on the pier, and Charlie's there. Charlie reported a similar type of experience, although didn't see any female creature. And off he goes. I mean, the thing's gone in a flash. I mean, to say they're traumatized is is an understatement, especially Calvin. And they have a discussion about what to do. And the consensus was, we're not going to tell anybody. They'll think we're nuts. Bear in mind, I told you Calvin's just about to get married. And he's thinking, my prospective father-in-law is not going to let me marry his daughter with this kind of thing. So they go to the car, which, is, as I told you, was brand spanking new. As they approach it, 
the uh, the glass in the passenger window falls out. Calvin get that's yeah, right. Yeah. Calvin gets in. It takes him about twenty attempts to get it started, and off they go. As they're en route to go back home, Charlie has a change of heart. He says, "No, we've got to tell somebody. What if this? What if these things come back and do this to somebody else? What if it's an invasion?" Charlie had been in the Korean War and had been under fire, been in several battles. So they stop at a grocery store, a little store, where that has a public telephone. No mobiles in those days. No. Nearby is Keesler Air Force Base. They phone them first, and they say, we're not in the UFO business anymore. Ring the local authorities. So they ring the police. The police send a car out and guide them into town. They end up at Jackson County Sheriff's Office, where they're, you know, they're, they're interviewed separately. They're not believed. It's a chap called Sheriff Fred Diamond and a couple of his deputies. So at one point, they're put in a room together and left on their own. Unknown to Charlie and Calvin, there's a tape recorder going in the desk next to them. Five minutes or so later, the deputy comes back, takes something out of the desk, they don't see what it is, but it's the tape. And they go and play it, and of course, they're still talking about what's happened. And Calvin is literally crawling up the walls. So the police were trying to uh, catch them out, like trying to uh, yeah. take them pl- planning their story as though they were making it up. Mm. But obviously, yeah. when they listen back to it, it's these two guys just going, they're not going to believe us either way. You know, we know what we saw. This is what happened to us. But, yep. you know, yep. what can we do? Yeah. So the, the police have a, have a change of attitude then and say, OK, guys, go home. And uh, Calvin and Charlie say, yeah, but you mustn't tell anybody. We don't want this getting out. And they said, no, we won't say a word. So they go home. They get up the next work, next day to go to work. As they get into the c- car park, they notice there's a few extra cars and they're summoned straight away to the boss's office. Bear in mind, that was Calvin's first day at work. Yeah. And he said, yeah. what? <laughs> the boss said, what the hell's going on? The phones won't stop ringing. We can't get any work done. Somehow, and to this day, they don't know how the story got out. You know? So that day... They, Someone's leaked it, haven't they? Yeah, they told their boss what had happened. So they were sent to the local hospital at Singing, it's called Singing River Hospital. They were checked out, they're fine. And then somebody said, what happens if you've got radiation? You're contaminated. So they're then driven to Keesler Air Force Base, which they'd originally phoned first, who gave... They said they didn't want nothing to do with it. (laughs) So they just literally run a Geiger counter over them and they, they were fine, but they said, oh, boys... While you're here, why don't you t- tell us what happened last night? So they do. And what is interesting, we've since got access to the secret tape made by the police. It's, it's online, you know. Um, and Keesler Air Force Base didn't record it on audio. They had a stenographer record it all. So we have the whole, yes, and that, whole that, transcript. That transcription is in your Absolutely. book, isn't it? I, I remember I read it yeah. early, earlier. Yeah. Very interesting, yeah. The entire conversation of them mm. and all of the like the uh, air force commanders and stuff, all, all of their questions because obviously there were several of them, yeah, like yeah. colonels, majors, and all yeah. that. All of their questions are written out. A lot of them are they're asking the same question over and over again. But these guys just don't don't alter their story. Yeah, they, yeah their story stays the same and consistent. Yeah, and the good yeah, thing throughout. is, is all these uh, air force gentlemen, they're all named, so the names are all there. It's not being it's not being redacted or anything like that. And then the story hit the news headlines. You know, journalists came from everywhere. Uh, the, the following day, um, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, the man who invented the phrase close encounters, turns up. Mm. Yeah. You know, with another guy called Dr. James Harder. And um, before Hynek left, he held a press conference and said, something's happened to these gentlemen, period. Please treat them with respect. But they were literally hounded by the news media, a lot of them trying to make fun, you know, two, two southern rednecks on the moonshine and all this kind of stuff. 
So Calvin went, sorry, Charlie went, but Calvin went back home. He ended up in the hospital, had a little bit of a breakdown, but he did get married, you know, and he joined the Royal Marines. Not because he, oh, not, not because he wanted to be a Marine, but it was a way of him getting away from all the pressure and the media. Uh, but he was, yeah. Yeah, but he was only in the Marines for a year when the news, a news guy caught up with him. And Calvin went to see his commanding officer and said, I think it's time you, you left us. You know, we're not having the Marines associated with that, you know. <laughs> so even in the Marines, he couldn't escape it. On the other hand, Charlie, he embraced it. He, he would go on to speak on, you know, chat shows, conferences and so on. And Calvin would play hellfire with him. Stop talking about it, Charlie. Stop going on the newspapers. Give it up. Let's forget it. I don't know if you, I don't think you guys are old enough, but in the 1980s, there was a TV series, The Hulk. And yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, The Hulk was like, like Calvin. The Hulk was hounded by a, a, a newspaper journalist. And every time he caught up with him, he would move on to another town. Well, that's exactly what Calvin did in real life with his wife and family. Every time the journalist caught up with him, he'd move on. He even used a false name at one point, but he got fired because his boss said, your name doesn't match your social security number. Well, you know, so he got fired in that job. Uh, and, um, and that, in a nutshell, is the story. Charlie died in 2011. He wrote a book in 1983 with a chap called William Mendez. I'd got the rights to republish that book, which I did. And I was looking to see if I could get an interview with Calvin. And uh, I managed to find him. I mean, by this time, you know, the, the, the case is dead. Nobody's interested. It had no champion, you see. You know, Charlie championed it for years. And, and to my surprise, Calvin said, well, I've been thinking about writing a book. So we agreed to work on it. In fact, he ended up writing two books. And when his story came out a second time, he told it in full. You know, and it was right. Yeah. And the media had, had treated him differently. They treated him with respect. Very few people taking the mickey out of him. And um, as a result of that, and our continued research, all kinds of new information, new witnesses and new evidence emerged. And it's still continuing. And that that's what really uh, hit me the most about your book was just the sheer quantity of witnesses, not just on the 11th of October. There, there, were, there were several days spanning that particular date where people may not have uh, reported it to immediately, but they did come forward over the years, haven't they? Yeah, and, I mean, there was a couple of people way back in 1973 who stepped forward, you know. So, uh, And we also have been in contact with the police officer, the police dispatcher, who they phoned that night. He's still alive. And he said, Philip, I took over 50 calls of different UFO sightings that night. And I looked, he said, I loved them all. They were all in the police log. He said, when I went back to the police station, people there in person also reporting it. You know, Sheriff Fred Diamond, who handled the case that night, he had his own UFO sighting two days later. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was a bit of a hot spot. Um, yeah. The one story that um, stood out to me in your book was actually, uh, was it Jerry and Maria Blair? Mm. Yeah. They also had an ex abduction experience. And to me, um, I, I don't know about you, Philip, but to me, it almost seems from their story like uh, they were the ones that were planned to be abducted and the two guys were just kind of a... a in, in the book, but in the wrong place at the wrong time, because oh. uh, Maria uh, ended up having. Well, to start with, she didn't remember anything, but she went and had this uh, regression well, that, therapy. That's, not, didn't that's she? not quite accurate. I'll, I'll build the picture for you. The, the, okay, the, yeah, you go ahead. The, yeah, the Pascagoula River is a big river. You know, shipbuilding still takes place on it today. Maria and her husband Jerry were literally on the other side of the river at the same time. Um, there were, I think he was going out on a boat that supplied the oil rigs and things like that. And the boat was there, but the, the chief, the captain, was late. 
And Jerry was not best pleased. You know, he'd had a sleep in the car. And Maria looks across the river and she sees this blue thing flying around. It went up the river, it went down. She said almost as if it was either looking for something or it didn't know where the hell it was going, you know. So they, de they decide to go to the boat and put Jerry's clothes and what have you on the boat. As they're walking along this little pier, there's a huge splash in the water next to them. Maria looks down. She says, there's a grey man in the water. That's her words, not mine, grey man. Jerry also heard the splash. So she literally threw his stuff on the boat because she had to go back down the pier past this place. And off she went. What is curious, she thought they were there about nine o'clock. When she got back, it was 12 o'clock. She couldn't account for several hours. She didn't have a watch on at the time, neither did Charlie or Calvin. You know, but she said it was somewhere around the nine o'clock mark. But when I got back, it's 12 o'clock. It shouldn't have been that time. So what happened was they never told us all. The two daughters, I think they told them, Calvin did a little TV interview. Like an eight, they put it on YouTube. And one of the comments on it was, my mum and dad were on the opposite side of the... And they saw that comment, contacted this person, said, we need to speak to your mum and dad. And her mum and dad were Jerry and Maria Blair. Now, when I first spoke to Maria, she, t she told us that story. And she said, but Philip... I always wondered if something similar hadn't happened to us. And I said, why do you think that? She said, well, I've got this memory of looking at something in my peripheral vision and I can't quite make it out and I've got my eyes almost closed. But there's some, and the, so there was something there that bugged her. But she didn't have much memory of no, it, did not, she? Not, I think no, not what, Je Jerry had memories, yeah. but he didn't like to talk about it. And I think it said in your book, I was reading earlier, that it, it, he, he had to have a major operation and he wasn't expecting to come through yeah. it with uh, being able to talk or with a sound mind. So he ended up admitting to Maria before he had the operation about what was happening. And that started jogging her memories, didn't it? Absolutely. And then she went... Then she went for hypnotic regression, yep. and the transcript of that is also in your book, yep. and that was absolutely astonishing. Do you, do you want to walk us through that yeah, one? Yeah, I mean, Jerry, after about a year of being in contact, he'd admitted to seeing the grey creature and the blue lights, but that was about it. And then, like you say, he took seriously ill. He was having an operation, 50-50 whether he survived, and literally from the hospital, he, he phoned me. Well, he got Maria to phone me and he sat on his hospital bed and he made a film a little thing. And it's, it's you know, it breaks your heart because he's there. He's got stickers on him where he's had an ECG and things like this. And it, it, it just it was almost like a deathbed confession, you know. Yeah, uh, it did. It did survive the operation, but it was just, you know, a temporary thing. So he's. He literally told his wife, Maria, we were abducted that night, and he told her the whole story. And even though he was dying, she played hellfire with him. You know, why didn't you tell me before? So. And he said, I was just trying to protect you. You know, that's all. I was just trying to protect you. So sadly, Jerry passed away, and to, right to his dying breath almost, he was telling Maria what had happened. And a good a good while after it passed, Maria mentioned the possibility of hypnosis. But she knew Calvin had had it previously. Uh, and we put her off to begin with because I thought, well, she's still too upset about her husband dying. But eventually, we got a professional hypnotherapist in the area who agreed to do it. We had to pay them, of course. And... Uh, uh, and we'd do it at Calvin's house because she knew Calvin. She'd met Calvin by this time, so they knew each other. And he'd had it before, so we could advise her if so she wanted. It was a more comfortable environment for her to do it yeah, in as well. Yeah, 
And what we did with the hypnotherapist, we did not tell her anything about what we wanted to know. We just said a date, a time and a location. That, that's all she knew. And she put, um, she put Maria under hypnosis and, uh, you know, she told us a whole story about the encounter. And in, in fact, she remembers that bit looking out of a peripheral vision uh, and, and she's got her eyes closed almost because she's scared. She don't want to see it, but she can see see it briefly. But she describes the creatures. They take DNA and eggs from her. She says they want to make babies, babies that look like you and I so they can live amongst us. That's what she says. And so that's what of, makes me think that, that was... It. Sorry, that, that's what makes me think that that was the original intention of the aliens. You know, they were the original target. And um, yeah, uh, Parker and, uh, what's his name, uh, were just, just sort of in the wrong place at the wrong Parker time. Parker and, and Hickson. And were yeah, sort of a secretary. Yeah, I mean, that's what she, she thinks as well. You know, but I, I, I'm not going down that route. I'm just trying to detail what happened. But I know we shouldn't laugh. But when she started talking about this, because we have this filmed as well. It's all on professionally filmed. You see the look on the hypnotherapist's face. You know? <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, you're thinking, hell, what fire, the hell what she's I'm... got herself into. Yeah, but it was too late. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Then, you know, I'd already paid a... But it's, a fa it's fascinating to watch that are those that say, you know, hypnosis taps into your fantasies, and, and they may well be right. You know, all we've done throughout the book is to document what we've uncovered and allow people to make up their own minds. It's, it's, it is that simple. So a few weeks later, we used the same hypnotherapist, but this time on Calvin, um, in his house. And Calvin had, had been under hypnosis before, so he knew what to expect. So we, the, the hypnotherapist now knew the subject matter. So I, I gave her a, a couple of questions. One question was to ask Calvin Parker before anything had happened, while he stood there with his, his rod, you know, in the water, just, I don't know what fishermen dream of when they're, when they're fishing, you know, and just tell us what he sees in front of him. In the, you know, and he says, well, okay, yeah, um, there's a boat going out. There's a boat going out because it goes out to the sea, obviously. He says, there's the, there's the bridge with the cars going over. And, he, and right at the end, a little throwaway comment. He says, oh, there's two figures on the opposite side of the river. Were those two figures Maria and Jerry Blair? I, I asked that question in the book. I don't know the answer. I don't know. Some might say it's too far. It could be somebody else. I have no idea. So, how how wide approximately is this river? Do you think about, they would have been in visual range? It's about a mile, I think. A mile wide. I think wow, that's about a, a mile. big river. Well, not not a mile okay. wide. There were, I think, there were slightly. Oh, from from the two different points that, that they yeah, were located yeah. at. Yeah, I might be wrong there. You know, but it is a big river. But like anything else, it's, it's shallow to begin with and it widens. It has to be big to, to build the ships on it because they have to launch them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and again, we filmed that. It's it, The whole transcript is in the book. I mean, every word, there's nothing. The only thing we've redacted is how they put them under hypnosis, you know, to count to 10 and all this stuff, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But it's fascinating. You know, it, it really is. And were it not for that little comment on, on YouTube, and had I not read it, we'd probably never have found out about Maria and Jerry because they didn't step forward. It was their daughter that made that comment that I saw. Because people have said, was, oh, and yeah, carry on. And so, sorry. Um, uh, the, w- one of the things that I read in the book was, um, like you said, that they, they harvested her eggs and her DNA um, because they wanted to uh, in, in, implant their own kind on here on Earth to walk amongst us humans undetected. Yeah. And then Maria went on to claim that her own daughter is one of these beings. Yep. She has yep. uh, both mother and father's DNA, but also an extra chromosome that they don't know how to account for. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yep. That's odd. Which, I mean, that's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. And they can't pinpoint what this extra chromosome does, or it's just there? No, it's just there. Oh, and is that is that the same daughter that actually no, commented no, on the YouTube no, that, video? No, a different that's daughter. That's her eldest daughter. Her, the one that commented is her youngest daughter. And uh, it was just a little comment. You know, things that young people do on YouTube and, you know, Snapchat and whatever else. Oh, I, yeah, I have a little comment about that. And, yeah. and this was amongst hundreds of comments. I mean, literally hundreds. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just... Yeah. I just spotted it and I thought, what? You know, it kind of jumped out. What? You know? I can imagine, yeah. yeah. And that. For, yeah. for someone like yourself, who is, is it, might as well say, I, I, do you consider yourself a professional investigator? No, not at all. I mean, you know, I, I, I worked in industry half my life. Um, I worked in a factory. I was a trade union officer. Uh, I then took ill, seriously ill, so I tried to take a few years out. Um, Sadly, I ended up working for a bank, so don't hold that against me, guys. But <laughs> we'll try I, not I didn't to. Get, I didn't get zillions in bonus, I can assure you. But I had to take a desk job, basically, you know, when I got back on my feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in 2016, I took ill again, so I thought, you know, enough's enough. I took early retirement, and I'd already launched the year before Flying Dispress, so my little publishing concern. And I thought, I'll. I'll get stuck into that, you know, and keep me a bit busy. Because if I didn't, I'll end up in, the, you know, the wife would bury me under the patio, you know. No no, no problem right, there, mate. Okay. And so possibly it wasn't so much that you've got an eagle eye as a researcher. It's just that you happened to just chance upon the right comment at the right time. Absolutely. Because you got time. Well, what, it learned, what it learned me, Pirate, was to do that again. You know, because you oh, find yeah. other little videos on the case. And you'll see 700 comments. All right, it's going to take a few hours, but go through it. You never know what you might find. Same same on Facebook. You know, there'll be a posting about the case, and then there's all the comments underneath. So it taught me to look, you know, it, 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 you know and I have done. Oh, yeah. And that way we've, we've found other witnesses as well. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. There's a chap called Charles Rusty Anderson. One of the criticisms of the case is, this is right near Highway 90, huge bridge with cars going off across it. Well, Charles Rusty Anderson was driving across the bridge that night, and he saw it. And he says, there's this blue thing, blue again, down below me, down below. He says, I thought it was going to crash. Yeah, he said he thought it was a plane that was flying too low, looking for someone to land, and he was concerned that it was going to crash. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've made a new documentary about this case that will be out later this year, and and Mr. Anderson was one of those interviewed in person. So he put put a little comment on his Facebook page, being interviewed for a documentary, words to that effect. And there's various comments. And there's another lady, I think she's called Pamela, she commented, oh, I saw it that night. So I contacted Pamela, and she told us the story where she was putting the kids to bed. She lived about a mile or so from the scene. And she says, I'm just about to close the bedroom curtains, and I can see it in the distance, this blue thing. Now, Pamela is the cousin of, of Mr. Anderson, but neither of them knew about each other's sighting. They'd never talked about it to each other, never, you know. I suppose 
particularly back in the 70s, the stigma attached with being uh, or, or seeing a UFO. You just didn't say anything about it because everybody just thought you were crazy, didn't they? Well, it's they? the same with Mr. Mr. Lewis Lee. He's in the book. Sadly, Mr. Lee died earlier this year, but we'd already interviewed him. And again, he didn't step forward. Calvin, at one point, was having a book signing in the town. And this chap came up and said, you know, thank you, Mr. Parker, I'll have a book, sign it to whoever. And he, again, he just said, oh, I saw the UFO that night, and he walked away. Now, luckily for Hulls, somebody was taking photographs, and there is a picture of this old boy with grey hair buying a book from Calvin. And we put it on social media. Somebody from the library in Pascagoula contacted me and said, I know that gentleman. Uh, I said, well, can we speak to him? She said, I'll ask him. And he said, yeah. And now, Mr. Lee was on, again, that night on the other side of the river, different location, working in the shipyard. He was a crane driver. And he says, when I got in my cab, Philip, I'm about 10 or 12 feet off the ground in my cab. And he says, I looked out across the river. There's this, I can't do a Mississippi accent, guys. I struggle with English, <laughs> you know. He said, but there's this down thing over the river. And I think he watched it for about 10 minutes. And it was only the fact that his colleague down below is shouting at him that he turned his attention away from it to get on with the job. Which is when I looked back, it was gone. Now, I, now it doesn't say this in the book, but I, I'm, I spoke to, to, to Mr. Lee and I said to him, well, did you report it to anybody? He says, Philip, it's in 1973. There is no Ghostbusters. You know, can't call Ghostbusters <laughs> about this. He says, the only people I told were my family. Who the hell else am I going to tell? And, and sure yeah, enough, yeah. I spoke to his wife and um, she said, yeah, yeah, he's told us and his family. So he wasn't keeping it secret, but it, it was a fact there was no, no reporting line to, to do that. And he was just another guy who was, happened to be there that night and, and, and witness whatever it was. Now, you know, it was one of many. Yeah, I have a question, yeah. Philip, if that's all right. Um, do you find over the years with uh, all of these interviews and people coming forward, do you feel like in uh, 2023 that people are more accepting of abductions and encounters? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I've been involved since 1980. That's when I joined UFO research. And I've noticed... It comes and goes. For exact, for example, in the 1990s, we had, you know, Harvard professor Dr. John Mack step out of the woodwork and investigate alien abductions, write a book about it, say there is something to this. Got the loads of press and media. I met John several times. He was a lovely, lovely guy. But what it did, it gave the subject an air of credibility, you know? Yes. Definitely, yeah. And that... It, it, so it, it goes in peaks and troughs. But with what's been happening with, you know, the hearings in, 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 the, in the US, I think, you know, publishing is different because of this, you know, because of the technology yeah. we now oh, have. You, I mean, newspaper uh, editors at one time could be kingmakers. They decided to take a stance on something. They, and if they supported you, you, you know, great but oh yeah but if, they, they could make or break yeah, you basically and, couldn't and they i used to, I, I told you at the beginning i used to be buford's conference organizer and i always have them my conferences in the summer for two reasons one the football season had finished and two parliament, <laughs> was, in, parliament was in recess so i knew that the media were on the lookout for for, for news stories and um, every year we managed to get, you know, a big a big story about our upcoming conference, which in turn sold the tickets. You know, there was no digital access or anything like that. And, um, you know, but things have changed now. You know, a lot of the local newspapers and whatever been sucked up and dried or they've gone. And you can yeah. put new... Well, they've turned into online yeah, um, yeah. distributors yeah. themselves. But you can put your own content out now without without worrying about them you know uh, so things have changed and there's a bigger access to this type of information there's still morons who take the mickey and think it's funny to say oh they were drinking moonshine or or magic mushrooms you know and all this you know you know get alive you know uh, because they weren't <laughs> and 
So I think it is more accepting because there's more information about it now. We are a much more liberal society. You know, it's not that long ago when homosexuality was was against the law, you know, which oh, yeah, yeah. we would think now is it's crazy. How, how, how could that be? It's bonkers, you know. So it's the, yeah, yeah. so it's the same with this phenomenon. I think it is more acceptable. And of course, in Calvin's case, when he finally told his full story, he was treated second time around by and large by the media but in respect. I mean, that one of the local charities even raised some money to put a historical marker at the site of where this thing happened. And it was it was officially unveiled by the mayor. Now, in the 1970s, wow. that would never have happened. You know, oh, it, they wouldn't have touched it like it with a barge pole, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think yeah, that's that's a very change. They may change again. Who knows? That's understandable. But, I mean, on the whole, I mean, because um, we're coming to the, sort of near the end of the end of the podcast now, Philip. And um, one of the little traditions that we have, we've got what we call the paranormality scale, uh, which is basically us rating it one to ten on how believability, or how believable we think it is. Um, so I, I think we should put it to the paranormality scale. Now, obviously, we're, we're rating the story, not necessarily your book. Your book is excellent. I would recommend it to everybody. Um, but uh, how, how highly do you think this this sits on the paranormality scale, Josh? I think it's definitely at least at least a nine point five out of ten. I think at least now, that. Yeah. The only thing, that literally, and um, this isn't a negative towards Philip or, or any of his research or anything like that. Yeah. But the the one question, because Philip, you might actually agree with me here. Maybe you've got an answer. But the the one thing I always hear from from people when it comes to um, alien abductions and so. The one thing is people always say to me, why is it always America? Why is it always the U.S. that these things happen in? That's easy to answer. It's not. I mean, my first book I co-authored with a journalist in 1994, and it's called Without Consent. And it details abduction accounts only from the U.K. and the U.K. only. And I literally traveled from one end of the UK to the other, interviewing them, a lot of these people in person, wherever I could. And, and it's, okay, fair enough. So, you know, America is America. It's, you know, it's the biggest, you know, most powerful nation on earth. So that's why we hear about it. And because they have yeah. so many more population, mm. when we, we, we here in England are only, what, 65 million people, whereas America's nearly 350 million people. There's just so many more stories to tell, isn't it? So it's not only yeah, America yeah. it happens, but and obviously America like to big themselves up as being, you know, <laughs> the ones well, that all happens In that case, to. I take it back. I'm going to give it a 9.9. 9.9? Yeah, because oh. Philip's actually gone through all the people that have seen it, all the stories and what I found interesting as well was like you said about uh, the, the person on the bridge and also closing the curtains were cousins. They didn't speak to each other about the story. And years. the the thing you said at the very start about the, the tape recording in the, the desk and yeah. how it changed the attitudes of the policemen and police women. Yeah. That also, I, I think gives it a lot of credence. So this is a, a very up there story. For very me. high one. Yeah. yeah 9. I, I'll, 9. I'll go with you then. 9.9 on this one. Yeah. So, yeah. Very good case, Philip. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. My pleasure. And uh, obviously, we're, we're going to plug your book a little bit as well. Like you said, that was available on the 1st of September. Well, get, get it now while you can in case it runs out, in case Amazon has a meltdown with, with the orders. <laughs> you know, it, I was just going to ask is it available on Amazon? Yeah. Or, or Do you, do you uh, supply direct from your publishing company? No, no, or is that just. We'll put a, it on Amazon and that way you can buy it pretty much anywhere around the world. Copies have already been bought in Japan and throughout Europe, um, you know. So if, 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 if your listeners get online now, they can melt Amazon with the orders. That'd be great. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's not yeah. about money, guys. You know, when I, when I, I just want to say, when I first met Calvin, Calvin is seriously ill now. But when I first met him, he'd had open heart surgery. He'd had a stroke. He's now in retirement. And he decided to tell his story in full. He said, Philip, I want to leave a legacy. My legacy is I want to tell my story 
in full so that once I'm dead and gone, people can still have access to it. I'll talk to whoever, whenever I can in the meantime, but he's, he's not able to do that now through his illness. And I said, I will help you in any way I can, Calvin, to document anything and everything we find about your story. Neither of us could have imagined the information that would turn up. I don't, I don't know if, for, for example, your music fans, guys? Yeah. Fleetwood yeah. Mac? You know? Yeah. Fleetwood Mac wrote a song in 1976 called Hypnotized. It's partially based, did, yeah. partially based on this Charlie and Calvin's abduction story. Ah, I like that song even more now. Yeah. Huh? Yes. I do. Yeah. So it, it made its way into popular culture as well, and, and were things like that that we turned up, you know, which we never knew, we never expected. So, you know, it, it has permeated places that we're still finding out about. And witnesses still coming. Just literally, I know we're at the end, but a lady who runs the Ocean Springs Historical Society out in Mississippi, one of their members said, I've got two boxes of stuff here for you. Thought you might be interested. These two boxes of stuff used to belong to Charles Hickson. And there are two boxes of letters. And I've been ah. going through that. There are hundreds of documents in it. One of which, well, two of which, is a, a drawing that Charles Hickson did of the craft. It's never seen the light of day before. It's no smoking gun. But it's it, it, for me, I loved it. But also... There is a one-page list, numbered one to twenty, almost like we do bullet points today, you know, on on a piece of paper. Yeah. And Charlie Hickson is describing one pint pot at a time what the creatures looked like, how big their chests were, how long their arms were. I mean, these are historical little documents about this case. And these are still just things that are coming to light now, That's, like you say. They, they've been buried for years they and came, years, 50 they years. They came to light two weeks ago. The lady who found So it hasn't even made it into your book no, then? So. the lady found them in a garage. And what happened was when Charlie Hickson died, her mum and dad bought his house. This was stuff that was in his house. And she just found it in the garage and thought, rather than throw it out, I'll donate it to the Historical Society. It's just that the, the lovely lady that runs it, it's called Chelsea Norton Prince, has an interest in the case and contacted me. She knew to contact me, and I have got now got a digital copy of every single piece in there. And it, it, it's fascinating. There's even there's letters from Betty Hill, a very famous abductee. You know, yeah, 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 I know that yeah, one. Yeah, Rod yeah. Hopkins, very famous uh, abduction researcher. There's even a gentleman in it. Uh, I mean, I'm going to sort this out and release it. Who worked for NASA, and he said, "I tried, oh, I tried really? to get NASA interested in your case, but they weren't interested. So I'm taking it up on a on a personal aspect." Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair play. You are quite the detective, Philip. I'm impressed, man. Well, I'm impressed. You know, my late mother always said to me, "So long as you've got a tongue in your head, son, you'll never get lost." So in other words, <laughs> don't be afraid to ask people. You know, and if you ask, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, if you ask politely and ask in the right manner, you'd be amazed what 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 you can achieve. And that's what what's what me, myself, and Irina have done with, with this case. And and things are still turning up. We've we've got. I will come back to you guys when the documentary comes out. Yes, 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 thank you. Yeah, yeah. that'd so be awesome. Any We'd questions? love to have you on again. Yeah. Any more questions? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so, not on, on oh, this particular case. I've got one. Is the comic book available as well online? Yes. On Amazon. It's for on the, Amazon, yeah. For those for those that are not aware, what what I've always thought Calvin's story would make a great graphic novel. It just for me it had all the elements, you know, strange looking creatures, you know, other people seeing it, you know, the police going to the sheriff's office, the air force base. So I got in touch with a, a very well-known guy in the in the comic book field called called Martin Powell. He's a writer, and he says, "Well, I'll, I'll, yeah." He knows the subject. He said, "I'll, I'll pitch it to you know." So a company called Moonstone Books said, "I love it. Love the idea. 
I have a colleague here in the UK, Martin's in America, called, a colleague here called Jason Gleaves, who's done a lot of artwork for us. So will you illustrate it? He'd never done a graphic novel before. He says, yeah. So what he did, he got Calvin Parker on Skype and said, Calvin, t- tell me about it. And he's making notes what these creatures look like and, you know, what type of car you were driving and so on. So he didn't just make it up from his imagination. Um, he got copies of Calvin's books as well. And there's the graphic novel. If you can't find it on Amazon, look for Moonstone Books. It's available there. But they tell me, as it, it's literally hot off the press, as they tell me it will be made available in other areas, you know, shortly. But uh, if you like, I, 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 I'm biased, I know, but I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I thought I, it was great. We I got the transcript and, for that one as well. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very good. Very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, Philip, for coming on today. And uh, I'm sure you've, uh, with your uh, Flying Disc Press, have got uh, many more authors that would like to come on and, and speak to us. And we'll, we'll uh, go through the list of books that you sent us and, and we'll select some that we might uh, bring some of your, your people on and have, an in, have, have more interviews in the future yeah, th- since this th- one has gone yeah, so well. Thank you very much, gents. You're on the mailing list, so you can't escape now. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. The pleasure's all mine, Thank you. Thank you. And if anybody at home has, uh, or listening to us from the United States, uh, has more to add to this story, uh, you can get in contact with us at paranormality.uk at gmail.com. You could get in touch with uh, uh, Philip. Am I allowed to give your email out? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, Philip Mantle. No, philip.mantle at gmail.com if you want to get directly in contact with him yourself uh i'm sure he'd be interested in any more uh, uh evidence or stories that you'd have leading into this investigation uh you can always find us on uh tiktok and instagram join our discord uh anywhere you'd like to interact with us please do and until next time i've been pirate i'm josh this has been paranormality uk ta-ta ta-ta